everyone. Welcome to another episode of Poetry Says. My name is Alice. Thank you so much for downloading and tuning in. I'm really happy today because I finally decided to share my favorite poem with you. It's taken a while. It's taken me a long time to decide to actually talk about this poem. Uh, I don't have any good reason for that. I guess I just felt like it was something that I needed to work up to. But I recently published a piece on Cordite in Nathan Kurnow's edited edition called Monster. And it's had a really, really lovely response um, from people, which has just made me so happy. And in the essay, I talk about this poem by the Australian poet Dorothy Porter. It's a poem called Lucky. And while Porter isn't my favourite Australian poet, um, this is definitely my favorite poem this is a poem that it's one of those ones that the first time I read it I thought that's what poetry can do that's what I want my poetry to do that is the function of poetry but in the article I only quote a tiny little bit of it and I thought it probably deserved uh, a bit more attention but backing up for a second I wanted to start with a bit of a correction on the article. So this is a piece, it's called A Deaf Rough Trade Defending Poetry to Quote Unquote Regular People. And in it, I talk about how it is quite a lonely thing to be a poet sometimes. And this space that I often find myself in where I feel so passionate about poetry and what it can do and how it can help us and how it really is for everybody. Um, whether you want to write it or just to read it, I feel that there is a poem out there for every single person that can help them through hard times or amplify joyful times. I just think it is not an, this exclusive thing that everybody, that it has a reputation for being. And I find myself often having conversations with people who don't often read poetry when I say that I write poetry um, and that I organize a poetry reading in Melbourne, there's this strange kind of conversation that comes up a lot where they seem to feel suddenly like I'm part of this rarefied world that they're not allowed into. And they'll often say things like, oh, I, would, I don't know anything about poetry. I don't get poetry. Poetry bores me. I studied poetry in high school, but I hated it. And yeah, there's this kind of like defensive space that I feel like they go into sometimes. And then more recently, I don't know why I've, I've started this habit, but I've started sending poems to people just to see what connects. And it's so interesting to see what will connect with somebody and what doesn't. And more often than not, the poems that I send to people that I think are going to work absolutely don't and then the poems that I think oh this is I don't know why I'm even bothering to send this they're the ones that the person will come back and go oh my god I love that <laughs> which is so satisfying but so strange at the same time and yeah after I published this piece a lovely friend of mine sent me a quote from Audre Lorde and I think this kind of sums up what I'm getting at in a much more articulate way she says poetry is not a luxury it is a vital necessity of our existence. It forms the quality of the light within which we predicate our hopes and dreams towards survival and change. 
first made into language, then into idea, then into more tangible action. I think that's so perfect. That's what I was trying to get at in this in this piece. It really poetry really can be if you let it something vital, something that keeps you going. And this poem by Dorothy Porter has absolutely been something that has kept me going. Also, as a separate little sidebar, there's something else I wanted to mention about the essay. I begin the essay talking about a poem by Michael Farrell in his collection, I Love Poetry. It's a poem that is made up entirely of punctuation marks. And in the essay, I refer to it as 37, which is the page number that it's on. But as it turns out, I didn't do my homework properly. It actually has a title which is listed in the contents page, which I did not notice. It is the title of this poem is actually Kangaroo Word. And it turns out there's also another poem towards the very end of the collection, which is also made out of punctuation. And that one is called Word Liarbird. So knowing that this poem is called Kangaroo Word really changes how I would have read it and my interpretation of it, which I offer at the end of the Cordite essay. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, I just wanted to put that out there. If anyone's read the piece and is now listening to this, now you know, okay, that poem actually does have a title. It's a reference to kangaroos. And so maybe you're going to look at that poem totally differently now. Um, but yeah, it's out there now. <laughs> it's out there. So I can't really issue that, that correction in any other way, but yes, that's, I just wanted to get that said. So now on to this piece by Dorothy Porter. So as I said, Porter isn't necessarily my favorite poet. I have read The Monkey's Mask. I have to say it kind of just flew by me in a lot of ways. It didn't, it was, it was really enjoyable to read. Uh, I had some really like moments that really did connect with me, but a lot of it I didn't really feel very much. And I have that, um, I have her collection Crete as well, and another one called Other Worlds. And I went back and, and had a look at Other Worlds um, the other day, just sort of looking through it and thinking, I do appreciate this a bit more on second reading. But again, I don't necessarily, I don't know, I just, Porter just doesn't move me as much as I feel like she should, which is again buying into that whole. Uh, myth of you know poetic authority and legacy and all that stuff that we don't really need to hold but Porter is obviously hugely important to so many Australian poetry writers and readers and it was such a huge loss to the community in 2008 when she died of breast cancer and something about Porter that I feel is really important is the fact that she was a trained actor and apparently her readings, of which I've only been able to find a few online, were just incredible. She could absolutely hold the attention of the crowd, stand behind her work, and really do her poems justice because she had that training. I, I really wish that I had just been a bit more involved at the time and maybe could have gotten up to Sydney and, and seen her read. But yeah, I didn't. I never got to see it, so... Yeah, I encountered this poem, Lucky, in the 2007 Best Australian Poems collection. This was the first one that I had bought, and 2007 was also the year I started writing poetry 
for real. It was the year that I started submitting. It was the year that I got my first acceptance and felt, you know, I got quite a few acceptances because I was aiming really low and uh, I was like, yeah, I can do this totally. Forget the fact that there was probably like a three-year drought after that, but 2007 was a good year. I had a really good start. I think I won a little competition as well and that really made me feel like, oh yeah, I can totally do this. No worries. And so I had the best Australian poems and of course I thought, oh yes, it'll be a matter of time before I get into this collection. No worries. Um, Too bad that Black Ink's Best Of doesn't exist anymore. And no, I never got into it. But I think, I don't know, I miss these. I think they're, they're really... As problematic as they are, you know, they throw up all these questions about who's in and who's out, but they're, they're such great little collections, like little snapshots of what was happening in the scene, I suppose, at the time. And so this poem, Lucky, is on page 81 of the 2007 Best Australian Poems. It's also republished in Porter's posthumous collection, The Bee Hut, which came out also from Black Ink in 2009. So here it is, it's called Lucky and it's dedicated for Andy. There's a damp melancholy in Tang poetry that smudges the lovely jade precision. I love Walt Whitman's spunky company, but under his bardic whistling, I can hear his lonely heart howling at the turned back of some deaf rough trade. So many poets starve in the cold fairy spaces between their frostbitten ears. How lucky I am to hear you, darling, coming up the stairs to smell the coffee floating ahead of you like my favourite incense. I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm kind of losing it reading that poem. It does it to me every time. I don't understand it. I cannot read it through without just getting super emotional. Um, but let's let's talk about it on a technical level. Let's take the emotion out of it for just a second. This poem is so, I mean, yes, yeah, spunky is the word, right? Like the first two stanzas or the first stanza and a half have this fantastic rhythmic structure and rhyme scheme which I've attempted to pick apart, and the more I look at it, the more I don't understand it. But you can just hear it. So I'll read that bit again. There's a damp melancholy in Tang poetry that smudges the lovely jade precision. I love Walt Whitman's spunky company, but under his bardic whistling. So great, right? It's this kind of like, yeah, it really pushes you along, this rhythm and the rhyme, and it's it's very... Yeah, precise. Again, she's using the words to describe the poem itself, I think. But then she breaks it. Then at this line, I can hear his lonely heart howling. It all falls apart. There's no rhyme scheme anymore. It just turns into free verse. So yeah, it's pretty much exactly halfway through the poem. I can hear his lonely heart howling at the turned back of some deaf, rough trade. And then into the so many poets starve in the cold fairy spaces between their frostbitten ears. 
what an unexpected way to describe what it is to be somebody who sits at their desk or in a cafe or on the tram typing into their phone to describe that headspace, the cold fairy spaces between their frostbitten ears. There's this kind of magical quality to it with the reference to the fairies. Also, it's spelled F-A-E-R-Y, which I kind of love. And yeah, the frostbitten ears, the the freezingness, the coldness of being this kind of solitary creature. The idea of the poet as somebody who works alone. And of course, not all poets work alone. There is so much to be said for working in a partnership with someone, having a reading group, having a mentor. I think all that is is essential, really, at least to me. Maybe if you were going to criticize this poem, you could say that Porter is reinforcing this myth that we all have to work alone. But I guess the reality is, you know, you can you can have as many mentors and reading groups as you want, but there is going to be a moment where you have to you have to sit with your poem and kind of decide. You have to make decisions on your own. It's not it's not naturally collaborative work writing poetry. So yeah, starve between their frostbitten ears. And then this final stanza, which always gets me, how lucky I am to hear you, darling, coming up the stairs to smell the coffee floating ahead of you like my favorite incense. It's not even the action of um, Andy, who I believe is Porter's partner, Andrea. It's, It's not even the action of her bringing coffee. It's just the sound of her coming up the stairs and the smell of the coffee. It's this tiny little subtle experience that she is writing about here. She's not saying how lucky I am to have you with me every day, to wake up next to you, to go to sleep next to you. That's not what she's focusing on. She's saying the fact that you make me coffee, the fact that you bring it to me, makes me lucky and yeah I think that's just really deeply moving and I guess the relationship that Porter is talking about here which is relationship between herself as a poet and her partner who as far as I know is not a poet that's kind of what I'm getting at in the essay as well is that there's you in the poetry world is you working at your deaf rough trade, whether you're working with other poets in community with them or whether you're working on your own. And then there are other times when you do need people who will just make you a coffee or send you a message or talk to you on the phone. People in the real world, <laughs> I guess. People who are not involved in the deaf rough trade. And I guess I should probably unpack that line too, because that was the line that I used in the title of the essay. I think deaf rough trade and the fact that this trade has its back turned to you as a poet is pretty much exactly how it feels a lot of the time. So like I said, I started writing in 2007. I had this kind of hilarious little golden run of publication and I won this little prize And I thought it was going to be so straightforward and everything was going to be up and to the right from there. 
Uh, I started writing when I was, I think, 25 or something like that. Uh, so old enough to know better, but um, young enough to be completely persuaded of my own massive talent. Um, and yeah, it took a little while, but as I started aiming higher, the rejection started to become um, very routine, uh, very expected. And I realized that that was actually 100% a part of being a poet was collecting those rejection emails you don't get slips that you can paper up on your wall anymore which I think is a good thing like that idea of papering your wall with rejection slips seems very like why would you want to look at that every day in your office that seems like a bad idea but um yeah I realized that yeah the the poetry world doesn't owe me anything it's it's focused on other things it's it's um yeah, the turned back of some deaf rough trade. It's it's exactly what it is. It is not interested in your own idea of yourself as the star of the show and the undiscovered genius talent. It is going to do what it's going to do. It's going to publish what it's going to publish. And no degree of your you know investment or how much you care about it or how much you think you deserve it is going to make any difference at all which is great right that's how it should be of course but that's also when you need someone who's going to make you a coffee or call you on the phone somebody to remind you that you're you're still incredibly lucky and your latest rejection is just another in a, a long line of things that will happen as you as you forge a path or some kind of strange career quote unquote as a as a poet yeah these things are circular they are not up and to the right and uh, in lucky porter knows that intimately and she knows what's really important um she knows what makes her lucky and it's not the fact that she's in best australian poems (laughs) um yeah or anything like that so yeah that's my favorite poem I hope you like it I think it's just a brilliantly quiet gorgeous thing and uh, I'll link to the essay as well if you're interested in reading it and yeah thanks so much for tuning in catch you next time